All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as usual, I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the first day of November 2022. Before I talk more about today's show, let me remind you that I am the editor of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, that is focused mostly on providing research and coverage of junior gold and silver exploration stocks. I do, of course, also comment on uh, the economies uh, and on various markets uh, and certainly uh, refer to the guests on this show very often in my newsletter as well. Uh, You can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up for my letter. We like to also promote Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to ChenPicks.com, if you're, especially some very exciting biotech stories that Chen covers. And uh, Michael Oliver is not with us today, but we also like to plug Michael's work, OliverMSA.com. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And also encourage you to send along whatever comments you have to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. Also, we, of course, want to thank our sponsors. Uh, they make this show possible. Our sponsors are Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, El Oro Resources, Rena Gold Mining, and Timberline Resources. Is America facing its second Fed-created depression since 1913? Well, that was the title to my newsletter that was sent out to my subscribers yesterday. A picture is worth a thousand words, they say. Unfortunately, since this is an audio format, I can't show you a very important picture that was displayed recently by Lance Roberts in an interview that he did with Adam Taggart on Adam's Wealthion channel. But let me explain it to you since you can't see it. I'll do the best I can to give you the picture in fewer than a thousand words. The chart shows a dramatic rise in consumer credit starting in 1959, which, as I recall, as a very young person then, very few people in America took on any credit unless it was to perhaps a bank loan to buy a house. Uh, and, and even then, most very large down payments were put into, uh, into that house or maybe uh, to buy a car. So for bigger purchases, some people borrowed money directly from the bank. Um, even then, it was required. The banks then often would require uh, co-signers, somebody to back up the initial payer. I can recall as a young lad, in fact, when my father bought a house, I think the price was around seventeen or $18,000 in Dalton, Ohio, back in those days. And my Uncle Paul, local farmer, had to co-sign that note. And, of course, the bank was looking at Uncle Paul's farm and the 
value of that farm as a, as a means of paying if my father couldn't pay. The point is, back in the 1950s, Americans didn't borrow any money other than to help finance some of those major purchases that I just noted. During the 1960s, well, that was the first time that people started using credit cards and then only to pay back uh, whatever they owed every month. People didn't run up big lines of credit and and never pay them back uh, as people do these days. So the chart that Lance Roberts shows started with zero consumer credit in 1959, which is pretty much the, I think if you put all the total credit on, on a chart, um, it would be hard to see the amount back in 1959 compared to where we are today. But that went from essentially zero credit per capita to $13,796 uh, per capita per U.S. citizen or U.S. Uh, yeah, US persons uh, at the present time. Now, that wouldn't be a big deal, except that from about the year 2000, consumer and consumer income and savings began to decline. And then immediately after the financial crisis, per capita income and savings for average Americans no longer supported their cost of living. In fact, as the chart shows, the gap between real disposable personal income and savings is now plunging way below the cost of living that we're talking average um, per, per capita average, uh, the per capita uh, situation in America. And of course, we are not even beginning to talk about federal debt, which is also skyrocketing, so that the average debt American citizen now owe is uh, $93,754. I just checked the debt clock a little while ago before coming on the show. And if you're a taxpayer, well, your average debt is $247,882. And this accelerating and rising very rapidly, of course, um, you know, it's it's it seems to be getting out of hand with COVID and uh, and more recently uh, with the uh, the war in Ukraine and uh, the problems that have resulted from that, inflation issues and so forth. Well, propaganda from both major political parties has most Americans believing that the Fed was created to reduce economic risks and market volatility, and also to create full employment and maintain stable prices. That's what we're told all the time. That's their, what their mandate is. I would say that they have failed on all counts for at least two reasons. First of all, um, as we should have learned from the USSR and other socialist experiments, it's impossible for governments uh, to devise a perfect economic environment. It's impossible for the Fed to do what markets do perfectly, namely to divine an equilibrium price for interest rates. Secondly, the Fed was in fact not created for those stated goals. It was created by and for the benefit of its shareholders, the money center banks and the wealthy elite that control those banks, such as the Morgans and the Rockefellers and other elites of that day back in 1912-1913. The 2008-2009 financial crisis served as an inflection point for our country as the Fed came to the rescue of its shareholders, the money center banks. And so as the Fed created hundreds of billions of dollars out of thin air to protect the banks and other major elites of our society, a threshold point was reached where incomes and savings on average per capita reached the point where they no longer support the living standards of a major portion of the American citizenry. And so millions of Americans sought to make up this gap. They are doing so now 
by borrowing even more money, causing an even greater acceleration of total debt to GDP. Then a decade later, as just noted, COVID follows. Uh, we get the COVID problem, and then we have uh, the extremely destructive sanctions placed against Russia. And that has put America's very extensive, uh, very existence, I would argue, in question whether destruction comes by way of an economic depression or nuclear annihilation. It seems there is no appetite from Americans, at least the elites, to seek any peace, peaceful solution with Russia. And it doesn't seem as though the uh, citizens are really caring much about that issue either. Well, and it's not hard to understand that because, after all, since uh, 1971, when gold was detached from money, the American empire has been able to expand endlessly thanks to the Fed's fiat printing press and the American taxpayer who is taxed directly or indirectly um, through inflation caused by trillions of dollars created out of thin air by the Fed. A glance at Lance Roberts' uh, chart suggests that America's days as a financial empire and thus as a global superpower may be nearing an end. As the masses of voters enter poverty, what is the Fed to do? What is the government to do but to create, create even more and more money at a faster and faster rate of speed in order to keep citizens uh, bearing torches and pitchforks from seeking revenge? But printing more money... Uh, but printing more money will only provide very short-term relief. As we've seen, the Fed has been doing nothing but kicking the can down the road, not fixing anything, just putting bandages over, over the injuries. Because the Fed has destroyed price discovery of capital by manipulating interest rates to zero, causing capital to be allocated to worthless endeavors while the debt used to manufacture fiat money remains to be paid. So now the amount of new money that must be created to generate a dollar of new GDP has been, uh, well, the amount of new money that must be created to generate a dollar, a new dollar of GDP has been increasing rapidly, but in fact is doing almost no good. In fact, you can argue now, I believe that each dollar that's created actually does, uh, does more harm than good because of the debt and the inflation uh, that is uh, resulting from it. Well, suffice it to say that when money costs little or nothing at zero interest rates, capitalism is allocated into endeavors that are non-economic. Because the Fed has lowered rates for decades on end, poverty now sits on our national doorstep. Where does all this place gold and our gold share investments that we talk about on this show so frequently? Well, according to Bob Hoy, who will join me in the second part of today's show, we are getting very close to the time when gold and gold shares will enter a multi-year bull market. He is especially bullish on the junior gold exploration stories like those uh, that sponsor this show, like Timberline Resources. It's a company that you will hear more about uh, in just a few minutes uh, when we come back from our first commercial break. Some of you may be familiar with a company named Snowline Gold. It is one of many gold exploration stories in my newsletter that I believe are on to a world-class gold discovery. Uh, and there are many others uh, besides Snowline. There are several others that, uh, that are really, that I'm really bullish on, Timberline being one of them. And as I said, we'll be talking, uh, we'll be hearing from Timberline in just a, a minute or two. It seems very reasonable to expect Snowline to outline something perhaps on the order of 20, 30 million ounces of gold from its project in the Tintina Gold Belt. But there is another Tintina Gold Belt story that I have just written about in my letter. I learned to know about this story after Quentin Henning suggested there was another prospect 
with the same kind of potential, the same kind of geology and mineralization as a snow line project has. And I have just started covering that story in my newsletter, and I hope to have that company on the show sometime in the future to talk about it. But if not, you can learn more about it by subscribing to my newsletter. Go to miningstocks.com to do so. Uh, that new company I'm talking about is selling at a mere 12 cents a share. Of course, right now, people aren't interested in these gold shares at all. Um, but if the main theme of this week's show, which is a new gold bull market, uh, is underway very soon, then uh, I think a lot of you are going to be sorry uh, if you don't already own some of these prime, primary and really good stories. Uh, you're going to be sorry you haven't done so. Uh, in today's show, as I say, Bob Hoy and Patrick Highsmith um, return. Patrick Highsmith uh, will be talking to us about Timberline in just a minute. Bob Hoy says the bear market in gold and gold explorations is about to end, and so we'll hear uh, why he thinks so in the second half of today's show. We do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Patrick Highsmith will be with us to tell you why you should pay some attention to Timberline Resources. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Patrick. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Patrick Highsmith with us once again. He is the president and CEO of Timberline Resources and a very experienced professional geologist, um, mining executive with 29 years. Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's more than that now. At least 29 years of experience. Uh, and he's worked with major household name companies like Rio Tinto, BHP Billiton, Newmont, Pure Energy Minerals, Fortescue, an Australian company. Uh, he's worked on more than 250 projects. He's been involved with the financing of uh, various both transactions that he's been involved with. So he's sort of well-rounded in the uh, in the mining sector from soup to nuts, as they say, or from exploration to production. So it's really good to have Patrick with us today to talk about Timberline Resources. Trades in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. You can buy it in Canada under TBR. 159.7 million shares. 
Uh, saw this morning selling at about 11 cents in U.S. money, giving it a market cap between 17 and 18 million dollars. So it's really a micro cap stock. It's a micro cap stock that is uh, on to, I think, uh, what could be a very exciting story, very exciting exploration discovery. It is a discovery for sure. It's the question now is, uh, is it got the scale to make it really very valuable? And I think it certainly has the potential too, which is why I'm really happy to own the stock myself and to have it in my newsletter and also, of course, to share this with you. So uh, thanks for joining me, Patrick. Good to have you again. Good to be here, Jay. Thanks for that introduction. You bet. Um, so Timberline is exploring what I believe is described as a Carlin-style gold project. Can you quickly describe in lay terms, for those not familiar with your project, it's the uh, Eureka Project in Nevada, and maybe the characteristics of a Carlin-style gold deposit and explain why they can be of considerable size and, uh, and some of them are extremely profitable, I know. Sure, Jay. Timberline, as you say, is a, is a Nevada explorer searching, really focused almost exclusively on Carlin-type gold deposits. And a thing to remember, Jay, about those types of deposits is they occur in, in several large trends in Nevada, and we are one of those on-trend explorers in the Battle Mountain Eureka trend down near the town of Eureka, uh, for which our project is named. And, and Carlin-type gold deposits, Jay, are sediment-hosted gold. They're hosted mm -hmm. in rocks like limestones, shales, uh, dolomites, and, and variations thereof. It gets uh, a lot of jargon in there, but those are sedimentary rocks. Uh, they uh, have occurred by the fluids reacting with those rocks, Jay, and sort of eating their way into the rocks to make their own porosity and permeability. So mm -hmm. these are highly reactive sedimentary rocks that receive these gold-bearing fluids. The gold there is associated uh, very commonly with elements like arsenic. You'll hear us talking about that on videos mm -hmm. and in our news releases. The presence of arsenic is a good thing when you're looking for gold, that sort of thing. And I guess to characterize Carlin-type deposits, in a couple of sentences, Jay, they tend to be uh, large-scale, kind of consistently mineralizing these rock units over large distances, you know, uh, along these trends. Uh, they can yield excellent grades and favorable economics uh, because of their, their both scale, their size, and their grade. So they're often mm -hmm. a target for the major mining companies like Barrett, for instance. Right. Well, I understand you just finished drilling at Eureka last week and that you are uh, still waiting for all but about four holes. Um, what can you tell us about – well, I know that you talked to us on September. You were you actually were on the show September 13th, the day before you came out with some pretty interesting, very, very significant assay results uh, from four holes, the first, I guess, four of, of 20 that will be reported on. Can you talk about the results from those holes uh, back on September 14th? Um, and then maybe comment on the remaining 16 or so that you're waiting for assays on. Yeah, just just a refresher there, Jay. We did just complete drilling about 7,000 meters. As you mm -hmm. say, it's about 20 holes, and we released in mid-September the first four. And you'll recall our project is called Eureka. We do have a 500,000-ounce resource there that was reported right. under the Canadian, Canadian 43101 rules some years ago. But that was a lower-grade part of the system, and we've been drilling what we believe to be the down-dip sort of roots of that system in a new discovery called the Water Well Zone, which is new. It, it will be 
uh, outside and additional to the resource if we're successful there. And the water well zone uh, really got things excited back in the first quarter, Jay, when we announced and uh, you know around 44 meters of over four grams from one intercept, and then we went 400 meters away and we drilled 41 meters of five grams in another intercept. And since then we've filled in and added on, and and that most recent intercept uh, or press release that you mentioned. We announced four more holes, and I guess the headline there was we drilled one hole with about 23 meters of 4.3 grams per ton. But that included a 7.6-meter run of 11.6 grams. We had another hole with 18.4 meters of 3.8 grams. That, too, yeah. included some high-grade 3.3 meters of 13.3 grams, uh, Jay. Mm. So each of those wow. four holes had significant gold in it. Each of it had the characteristics of this water well zone, this Carlin-type deposit, and they, uh, they, they, three of the four had, uh, had assays uh, 10 grams per ton or better. So yeah. we're kind of consistently hitting high grade, and we're, uh, we're expecting to see some more of that as we finish up uh, the reporting, as we'll probably do more of those uh, releases, Jay, with groups of four or five holes, uh, mostly around the water well zone uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, probably in the next two weeks will be our next release. Well, certainly as you keep drilling and you keep hitting those kind of numbers, I mean, those are very Carlin-like numbers, I think, I've seen with some of the other projects. Um, I guess there should, the level of confidence should be increasing in the market, and uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it is with the geologists that are looking at the project. I mean, that's part and partial to the economics of a, of a project. That's something else. And, of course, recognition and even pe- getting, getting people to pay attention right now because – Gold shares are so unloved at the moment, but um, I think at some point when things start picking up, people are going to wake up and realize that there's a pretty good probability you're onto something significant here. We'd like to ask you perhaps to comment on the footprint of, of this whole Eureka project to give us a sense of the scale, because I know from experience learning the hard way when I was new in this business years ago, that bigger is better and for the economics, generally speaking. You have to have the scale uh, because the overhead costs, uh, just putting a mine into production, the time, the uh, you know all the things that go into putting a mine into production, very costly, very time-consuming. So could you give us a sense of what you're looking at, the scale of what you're looking at, and these uh, these targets that you've that you've laid out? Absolutely, Jay. At Eureka, you know we're playing with the big boys. This this one property is 70 square kilometers. We own almost 60% of the claims in the Eureka District. Of course, with our, our friends to the north at I-80 Gold, owning a very important chunk of the northern part of the district where they have uh, over 9 million ounces of historic production plus resources. The resources alone are about 7.7 million ounces up there. So this is a big district, Jay. It's already sort of a 10 million ounce district. We're a major claim owner there. And and really what's exciting, and the audience can see these uh, Sort of numbers and these maps I'm going to refer to in our news in our news releases, but also in our presentation. We have at the lookout trend just one of three intensely mineralized areas where we have drill indicated gold over uh, four kilometers of strike of gold, uh, about 3.7 kilometers in, in the resource itself. Uh, if you include the uh, areas outside of the resource, it stretches for. Uh, I think up to about six kilometers of drill indicated gold on that trend. And so, as you say, the footprint is there for a lot of gold along this structure and very little modern drilling. Jay, sure, in the 80s and 90s when Nevada was so hot, 
there was exploration done here, but it was, and that's where most of this drilling came from. But that mm-hmm. was just shallow depths. And, I, and by that, I mean 100 meters, Jay, super shallow, mm-hmm. okay? So mm-hmm. the water well zone begins at about 140 meters, continues down to about 320 meters so far. So still, you know, comparatively shallow for the big mines in Nevada these days. So we feel like with the footprint we've got, we've got so many targets to chase that those early drill indications to greater depths. We've been spending a lot of time sort of validating our model. Do we see the same horizon consistently mineralized over the water well zone? Well, yes, we do. We've been talking mm-hmm. about the Dunderberg Shale, for instance, hosting the gold here. It's the same gold unit that hosts a lot of the gold that I-80 Gold has been drilling to the north. It's consistently mineralized along this section for over a kilometer every time we drill it in the guts of the water well zone and beyond. We're hitting gold. And so it, we've got those earmarks of scale, uh, as you suggest, Jay, that's really important. Several kilometers of strike going down dip to greater depths. We continue to see it. And so uh, fortunately this year, uh, we, we raised money at 25 cents at, at higher prices before things sort of softened so much for the summer. So we had an, a good treasury, Jay. We were able to drill these holes. Uh, sure, the market's been very soft this summer, but we've been able to drill and crank out results and we'll we'll face the fourth quarter here with lots of news flow and uh we you know we didn't have to dilute our shareholders at these lower prices so uh mm-hmm. we were able to get money at higher prices and uh and do this drilling so filling in that model understanding it better and that really sets us up well for getting these results out and as you say uh, we'll watch to see how the market greets the results uh between now and December um, but certainly it set us up for, to be a busy season in Eureka, continuing right through, as I'm sure I-80 Gold will keep drilling through the winter. I expect that uh, Timberline may well be drilling uh, some in the winter, but certainly drilling hard again in the spring of next year. Yeah, I-80 Gold, I, I watch it. It's in my newsletter. I love that stock. I have shares myself. Uh, I think uh, you, and, you, and, you and you and Downey did a, a joint video, if I'm not wrong, and um, you, you must trade notes with him, I suppose. Yes, you know, uh, you and, and the I-80 team are at a different, obviously a very different place than we are. They're developing mines in Nevada, but you would right. know, as I think, uh, as well as any big developer does, exploration is the pipeline that feeds this mine production. So we did, we hosted a webinar together with you, and that's probably out there on YouTube for folks to, to look up, uh, the two of us both talking about our projects, and uh it's a great way to think about Nevada. You have these big trends, and, and you, when you're in the right rocks, look at these districts that are the most endowed with a lot of gold, preferably high-grade gold. In, in this case, you know, Ewan and his team has been drilling silver, high-grade silver lead zinc mineralization also, and Timberline has also reported silver lead zinc mineralization from the Eureka Project. Multiple kinds of, of mineralization often characterize these world-class gold districts. You know, an older silver event followed by the later Carlin-type gold event kind of mimics uh, what, what I-80 gold is seeing to the north. And hopefully we drill grades as good as theirs. They've drilled some Bonanza-grade stuff, uh, uh, silver, mm-hmm. and we haven't yet. Um, but a, a lot of similarities because, frankly, this, this Eureka gold belt, uh, Jay, stretches from uh, Timberline's project in the south right through I-80's project in the north, and uh, that's really the corridor of rocks that has been uh, home to, to all these good drill results from both companies over the last year. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the silver and base metals, I think, uh, silver, lead, zinc. Maybe it, you have uh, discovered a carbonate replacement system there on your project. Any plans to do anything with that? Are you planning to 
to drill that, or are you just really going to stay focused on the gold and try to prove up some significant high-grade resources now? So far, the shallower high-grade silver uh, occurs on the northern block of our claim. Oh, so we'll probably be uh-huh. talking about that in the next quarter. We've done a little bit of prospecting up there, and we'll get those results in and probably report those in the next quarter. Um, but as for drilling, the silver lead zinc we've hit so far has kind of been the roots of our system, Jay, not the oh, higher mm-hmm. grade portions. Uh, mm-hmm. So we see the silver. It's, it's interesting. But we're kind of vectoring from that towards the higher grade gold as best mm-hmm. we can and trying to figure out that relationship. Um, but I suspect that this next round of drilling, we probably will see some silver. And uh, we, we always like to remind the audience, we are gold explorers. We believe the future of the big mines in Eureka will be gold. However, uh, the, this silver, when it occurs in these high-grade compact lenses, can certainly mm-hmm. yield uh, economic production as well. So we're going to have to see what the, what the rocks uh, tell us, Jay. We're going to have to listen to what the rocks say and what the assays say. But I would say expect to see Timberline hitting some silver-lead zinc as we get more into the system. We've drilled the, the southernmost known silver-lead zinc in the district uh, down here mm-hmm. on our project. But we're going to be focusing on that high-grade Carlin-type gold, and uh, and who knows, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll complicate uh, Ewan's life by finding another high-grade silver thing in the camp because I know he loves those type of deposits. So I'm sure he'll be I'm sure he'll be glad for that kind of complication. Um, well, just with about a minute left, can you give us a sense of the timing? What are you planning to do with the remainder of this year and into 2023? Uh, what are your targets? What will what should people be looking out for? Well, first and foremost, we're going to push these results out in sort of logical groupings of holes. I expect uh, the next release in the next two weeks, uh, oh, another good. release in maybe late November or early December, given depending on where Thanksgiving and the news flow falls. And then we'll have at least a third uh, news release on drill results in December. Could roll over into to early to mid-January, but we're uh, trying to get all the numbers out of the labs, Jay. And that involves a lot of interpretation, a lot of map-making and new mm-hmm. figures so people can kind of learn how to put these numbers in context. Each time we sure. report them, we're trying to educate where these things and how they fit together in this jigsaw puzzle of a new discovery at Eureka. Very good. And we're thankful that you're here to help us understand that on my show as well. Uh, okay. Well, well, we'll have to leave a go at that. It's uh, We're out of time, but thank you very much. I think you've covered the story pretty well in the short time that we have here, Patrick, and uh, I wish you all the best and I'll be watching very closely in the next couple of weeks for those assays, that's for sure. Absolutely, right, thank- Jay. Thank you, and good luck to everyone. All right. Thank you very much. Well, uh, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Bob Hoy will be with me. And, um, well, we're kind of hoping that Bob is right because he thinks the gold bull market is right around the corner. Yeah, you might have heard that before, but Bob's track record is very strong. So I wouldn't dismiss what he has to say, and that's why I wanted to have him on because I thought we could use some good news for a change. Uh, in this sector. So don't go away. Bob Hoy will be with me right after the break. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. 
To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Bob Hoy with me once again. It's been quite a while since Bob was last on the show, so let me just give you a little bit of a background on him and maybe quite a few of you who are not familiar with him. Uh, he is he has his, a, a degree years ago in geophysics, and he worked as a young man uh, for various junior exploration companies and during the summers, and then I guess he spent one winter in the bush, and he said, that's enough of that, and he decided to do something different. Then he went into the financial markets and started, um, he was on the trading desk and in research, uh, did research in a, a department with a large investment dealer in Canada. Bob's uh, review of financial history provided the uh, forecasting models that he's found very useful and has used over the years. He, uh, he looks at significant trend reversals during periods of alarming volatility typically uh, during the transition from rampant speculation in tangible assets to fabulous speculation in financial assets as well. Uh, and, of course, the other side of it is that dreadful post-bubble contraction that uh, some people have had just a tiny taste of, it seems, but some people think that there's a lot further to go. We'll get Bob's view on that in a moment, I'm sure. Um, so he, he's, uh, he combines technical work along with economic analysis. He's a, a great student of history and looks at the big picture as well as uh, shorter term moves. But uh, I've, I've known Bob over the years as a one who looks at the big long term uh, what's happening in, in various markets. And uh, those periods of transition are very important because most people don't catch them, I think. You know, we tend to be we tend to think that what has what we've experienced in recent years is going to continue forever, but uh, that's why it's important to study history to learn that that's not that's not true. Um, he Bob writes a weekly overview of pivotal events, which is uh, just now calling for a multi-year bull market in the gold sector. So, uh, Bob, I'm really happy to have you. Thanks for joining me. We we want some good news for a change. Yeah, Jay. Thanks a lot. Yeah, the, uh, I'm going to say right off the top here that a great financial bubble changes the world on the way up because people discover, hey, this is the way to get rich, and then it reverses and goes down. But it has a, an influence on, on gold and gold stocks, see, because there have been each of these great financial bubbles, of which the latest is number six. The first was the South Sea bubble in 1720. And I found decades ago that there were common features in each one. And one of them is the real price of gold in the senior currency. And for 100 years or more, England was on a gold standard. So you think the price of gold is fixed. 
But then when you deflate it by the uh, CPI, you find that, hey, it does things. And what it does in the final stages of a great financial bubble is that the gold real price uh, went goes down. Mm-hmm. And it did. And the latest posting is always, of course, a month or so behind because you're dealing with the uh, U.S. CPI. And it is still going down. And the reason... Uh, We follow the real price is that it reflects profitability of gold mining. And I'm going to take a jump here, Jay, like Mm -hmm. that people can readily understand, is that between mining and running a a mine and the mill takes a lot of energy, and that relates to crude oil prices, and then Mm -hmm. blasting agents and all that sort of stuff. So maybe 50-60% of the cost of mining is energy. And mm-hmm. if you've got crude oil falling relative to gold, <laughs> that side begins to look a little better. So mm-hmm. this is where we did it. Now, the uh, gold's real price is still going down. But if you take a look, and we did this in June, took a look at gold divided <clears throat> by commodities specifically, the CRB. Now, in June, June, July, it was bottoming. You know, I mean, the the um, it was generating all kinds of downside exhaust, capitulations, and selling pressures, and all that sort of stuff. So, looked at previous uh, lows in that. Uh, let's call it an indicator, mm-hmm. and they had a tendency to lead. Uh, the next rally in the sector by up to four months, which then counted out to around October. So this is what, since last summer, we're thinking there was a probability that the the downward pressures on the gold sector would continue into uh, into October. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and they have. So the, uh, and then the latest update on gold divided by commodities it's in a pattern we really like, where you get an oversold, which was June, July, mm-hmm. and then you get uh, stability, uh, base building. <clears throat> and we found this in the past. That can run for around five months. And then when you got whatever you're watching, it starts to rise above the 20-week uh, exponential moving average. That concludes the base successfully. And, for example... We used this in the first half of 2021 on the on the, the U.S. dollar index, the DX, and that worked out well. And then we've also used it, I think, at the same time on, on the gold-silver ratio, uh, and it was bottoming, so that was good. So so the, the issue is, is that the profitability of mining depends upon the spread between bullion price and their costs. Mm-hmm. But now it's only in the last few months that I realized that the uh, the standard method of looking at gold stocks is to look at the U.S. dollar, condemn the Federal Reserve, which I <laughs> I join, and mm-hmm. say that the U.S. dollar is going to crash and gold is going to go to ten thousand. But that hasn't been working lately. Mm-hmm. But what you then up if you're buying gold stocks on the prospect of the U.S. dollar going down, down mm-hmm, you're effectively mm-hmm. speculating in foreign exchange markets. 
Mm-hmm. But if you look mm-hmm. at our way, uh, where you look at the real price relative to CPI or relative to commodities, then you're looking forward to an increasing stream of earnings. Mm-hmm. And when you're buying an increasing stream of earnings, you're investing in mm-hmm. that industry. Mm-hmm. Now, with this, as I said, with gold's real price going down in, in each bubble and then going up, You've had copper do the opposite, and mm-hmm. back to 1825, and uh, copper's real price, as deflated, goes up in the final year or so of a great financial mania, uh-huh. and then it turns down. So this is where, in, a, in, a, in that, such a boom, you make money on the base metal miners, and you're going to underperform with the gold. So there's no point being in gold uh, through the final stage of the bubble. And then the irony, Jay, comes in when you get the uh, the financial pressures that really end the bubble, which mm-hmm. has been on, uh, then it hits the gold stocks. So we've seen in the last couple of months a, a washout in price on, on the main gold stock indexes. Mm-hmm. And also, as you know, the whole junior exploration side took a hit that uh, I, oh, I haven't seen one of those in, in ages. So uh, so the, the sector is really, really crapped out. Now, what mm-hmm. I want to do is look, is, is look ahead to when the, uh, and we're using gold divided by commodities, when it finally pops up. Now, for the last few weeks, we have suggested to our subscribers to, to begin quietly accumulating gold stocks. That would be from seniors to juniors. But not to get fully positioned until a few of our indicators come into place, like when the uh, when the, we conclude the successful base in gold divided by commodities. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to take the next step, which is one can see how readily for mining if you've got a lid on costs and the bullion price is doing okay, then uh, you hey, you're making money. But that's for producers. Mm-hmm. But just the fact of the real price going up is also enhances the valuation of a uh, of a prospect in the field. If you've got a mm-hmm. a good looking mineral deposit and uh, the uh, the value uh, or you know the relative value of it's going up as as the price of gold real price of gold goes up it enhances the exploration side so so this is our the foundation of our long term thing here so what we are uh, we thought that maybe the bottom could be around October and mm-hmm. uh, it's getting stretched out and we've got an indicator that will uh, when it turns up, we will get more aggressive. Now, here's the thing. The next thing we want to look at is that previous post-bubble contractions after 1929 or after 1873, 1825 was another one. One of the features was the, uh, a long period of weak commodities, weak wholesale prices, weak purchasing or uh, power for earnings for ordering companies and industry mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But with the real price of gold going up, you go into then a long bull market for the sector with, uh, well, who knows, previous post-bubble contractions have lasted for 
20 years mm-hmm. in that order. But the usual uh, three- to four-year business cycle keeps coming and going, and it continues. Mm-hmm. So with some cyclical interruptions, uh, the bull market in gold's real price is multi-multi-year. But you also have to have uh, – the goals won't go up when the S&P is crashing. Mm-hmm. But right. once it stabilizes, and then it starts to go. So here's the other thing about the – let's talk about the GDXJ as being mm-hmm. representative. Mm-hmm. So once it gets in its uptrend, it's not just going up, but it'd be likely outperforming the S&P. And for mm-hmm. all the years I spent in the institutional side of the street, I know that equity fund managers, uh, they may be running a portfolio that doesn't include gold stocks. Mm-hmm. But you have two quarters with the GDXJ outperforming the S&P. There's going to be many fund managers who say, hey, I got to get aboard. Mm-hmm. So that then, of course, that's ahead from whenever it it really starts to, to head up. So this points out that uh, that uh, our outlook, once bottomed and turned, is extremely bullish for the sector. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, it'll be really hot. Mm-hmm. And then also from time to time, there'll be major discoveries. Uh, mm-hmm. They happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to back up a bit. It's like go back to uh, 1929. And Homestake was the premier producer then and was producing gold at a pretty well constant uh, rate. And, of course, their stock got hit with the crash. And then its stock stabilized around $9 in 1930, 31. And you could accumulate the stock at that level. So what I did was took it to the end of 1932 because... Roosevelt didn't start messing around with gold until March of 1933. Mm-hmm. So by the time you got to the end of 1932, uh, the S&P had been trashed, of course, but Homestake stock was up something like 130% from the $9 level, and their earnings were up about that as well, but the price of gold was still $20.67 an ounce. Mm-hmm. But the reason why the gold sector was making money was because their cost of operations reduced uh, with uh, base metal mining and smelting operations being shut down. There were miners available. There was equipment available. So their supplies were cheap. And uh, the gold sector was making money. And it continued. So Take it further, then, in 1933 is when Roosevelt was fooling around with the price of gold. They thought by raising the price of gold in U.S. dollars that it would help commodity prices, <laughs> and that would help farmers. Uh-uh, that wasn't working. So then what they did was enhance what was going on, which was the real price going up. So then that really put the real price further up. And Homestake eventually in the ni- mid-1930s was trading at $65 a share <laughs> <laughs> from your $9 accumulation. And yeah. then also, Jay, get this, that in those days, gold miners paid out virtually everything by mm-hmm. way of dividend. Yep. 
So through the mid-1930s, on your $9 purchase, you're getting $4.50 a share annually dividend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Bob, it took a depression. It took a great depression. Uh, uh, Some people have said we've got the bubble, um, the mother of all bubbles here. Yeah. Uh, do you think we, I mean, I don't say this cheerfully by any means, but do you think we could be seeing something akin to something really dramatic on the downside that's hard to envision right now? I mean, yeah. of course, you know, most people think that governments are here now uh, to fix everything, and they weren't there in the <laughs> 30s. And we had the gold standard, which they blamed for the Depression, which, of course, is a lie. Yeah. But that's what people think. That's the propaganda. But mm-hmm. what are your thoughts? Is it going to, I mean, are we in for something very significant on the downside because I looked at this morning. I think that the S and P's is only down about eighteen percent. Yeah, from from the start of this year, that's yeah. not 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 much of anything has hit us yet. Yeah, and yet well, when you look at uh, all the you yeah. know, all the things going on in the world, you'd yeah. think that maybe we're in for something more difficult. Well, you've got the uh, the intrusions by uh, crazed uh, governments was so that they had the lockdown mm-hmm. within the midst of a bubble, and that then put a hole in the economy. Hmm. And then maybe the strong, well, relatively better GDP number for the third quarter, mm-hmm. maybe some of that, well, I know some guys are saying it was inventories and screwing yeah. around and stuff, but maybe it also was helped by folks just sort of getting back to normal. Right. Okay, yeah. now, every post-bubble contraction has been severe. It's like... It's a change your world on the way up where everybody becomes prosperous for a while. Mm-hmm. And then it's a change your world on the way down. Now, in, in 1929, the S&P and the Dow, they uh, fell to the low in you know, July 1932, was sort of 85 or 87%. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time... The New York market was junior relative to London, uh-huh. and the speculation was wild, and that was the crash. Now, in London, their representative stock index fell in half. Bad mm-hmm. enough, eh? Yeah. So uh-huh. the uh, post-bubble contractions are change-your-world stuff. Uh, you have uh, chronic pricing pressures. In most commodities, and let's say wholesale prices, and industry ha- and commerce has a tough time with pricing, and uh, so you have, a, and then you have a problem with companies servicing debt, and you have even uh, debt junk junk bonds being uh, going no bid uh, in default, and then you have many investment grade bonds going to junk and then to default. So it, mm-hmm. it's just plain ugly. Yeah, but through it is the uh, is is the the feature of gold. So one would wonder why uh, <laughs> in a post bubble contraction the price going up. Now, what does it do? Well, it makes the the business home more prosperous. So gold uh, production numbers go up. Mm-hmm. And they can go up hugely. And where does the gold go? Well, it goes into the financial system. Mm-hmm. And it starts mm-hmm. to re- restore liquidity in the banking, where the previous liquidity of all kinds of debt instruments had gone zero, you know. Went mm-hmm. so, yep. so Mother Nature has a plan for gold. And the 
all of the uh, economists out there, you know, interventionist economists and interventionist central bankers hate gold. But it will be, it will, the rise in gold and the increase in production will begin to restore liquidity in a blitzed out uh, banking system. And it's happened, it's happened every time. As a matter of fact, Jay, there's, there's an, there's an amazing numbers on, on uh, four out of the five major contractions. Mm-hmm in England, in sterling, and that was the senior currency, the rise on it in the real price of gold on the lengthy, like the 20-year, was 1.7 times. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it did it three times. Yeah. Bob, we're so just about out of where... time here. Uh, we're just about out of time yeah. here already. There's yeah. so much more to, hit, to, to ask you. Yeah. Uh, I've hardly asked any questions, but I want to ask you, I want people to know. So essentially, I think on commodities, you use the CRB. Yeah. And, uh, and, and how do people know? I mean, they can subscribe to your letter and tell them how they can do that. Oh, yeah. Because it's just bobhoy.com, chartsandmarkets.com. There's a couple of ways of getting in. And for and for the fun of being back with you, Jay, we're offering a 25% discount on new uh, subscribers. Okay. And we've also put together a list of uh, small cap gold stocks that we like. But there's they range from producers next to producers and some exploration stocks in there. I think there's about a dozen. We monitor them technically as well. Okay. So uh, folks should get in touch. Uh, the research has been reliable, and we're always delighted to uh, talk with people. And then, as I say, we've got our list of uh, of uh, small-cap stocks that we're looking after. I mean, uh, looking after, okay. we're running the technicals on each one. Uh, all right. Uh, Bob, I want to ask you just one real quickly now. You, you must think that oil is going to be coming down if you're bullish on the real price of gold. That's one thing. And the second thing is, and we just with less than a minute left. Uh, how do you know when when we're at the top, the other end, when the when gold gets overvalued, and we better start to exit? What do you look at? Do you look <laughs> at that silver gold ratio sometimes? Yeah, that? yeah, that one's been reliable. The silver gold ratio when when that when the uh, weekly RSI relative mm-hmm. uh, momentum thing gets up to ninety, then that's uh, a sell on the sector, and the last. <laughs> time it got to there was April 2011 on that fabulous uh, speculation in the sector. And the only other time it got that high was in January of 1980 when uh, that silver cartel was went crazy and then crashed. Wow. So yeah. so we will have, and then all here on the exploration side, Jay, you'll know the top is when some young uh, promoters who don't know a clue about anything start promoting that that property in Nevada that has so many holes drilled in it that when the wind blows, it whistles. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that, Bob. We're out of time. Uh, It's really good having you again. Uh, We'll look to have you back again and and keep us updated on where you think we're at in this gold market right now. Okay. keep you posted, Jay. All right. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Michael Oliver will be with me. I don't know who my other guests will be yet. Uh, it'll be a good one, whoever it is. And so we hope to have you back then. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 